It's not based on feeling and it's never naive. It's based on a real person. Whether you see him or not, he is real. And whether or not you today are seeing the miracle, he is still working. How many know if we got a microscope, we would start to see things working that you never knew were there? Come on. But it's not blind. It's just you can't see it. Just because I can't see it doesn't mean I'm blind. Does everybody get that? Because I can see other things. I can see you, but I can't see the particles that hold you. Does that mean I'm blind because I can't see particles? No, it just means I can't see the particles. So when it says we do not walk by sight, we walk by faith, doesn't mean I'm blind and I'm not seeing anything. No, I'm seeing all that God already created. I'm seeing all that he has already done. The Bible says taste and see that the Lord is good. You are to see the goodness of God in the land of the living, the Bible says. But what you can't see right now is the next thing he's doing. You can't see the miracle. You can't see the answer to the prayer. But your faith is not blind. Your faith is in God and in his goodness, what you can see. What you can see. Do you understand that? Every one of you is seeing the goodness of God right now. This planet is here by the goodness of God. Your eyes are by the goodness of God. And even a blind person can see the goodness of God in their mind's eye. When they use their imagination to understand all that's going on in their life. Are you listening? You see, God is teaching us to put faith in his word and to believe that he is. And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So how many of you are going to diligently seek God this week? You need to diligently seek God. We're in a sermon series on Matthew, so turn to Matthew 15. Everything I'm reading to you throughout this book should give you faith. This should give you faith. You are seeing it. You are seeing it. Do you understand that? You are seeing what God did. You're seeing what he did. And if he did it for others, he can do it for you. That's what you're supposed to get from this. You're supposed to be inspired by the things of God and say nothing is impossible with God. But the great I am says I am possible. He turns impossible to I am possible. Are you listening? (laughs) And today we're going to learn about your heart. And if you're not born again, we're going to learn about your wicked heart. And those of you who are born again, we're going to learn to keep your heart pure instead of going back to being wicked because you are in a, as a sinful state and we are the most wicked thing on this planet. We are the source of all evil on this planet. We are. The devil just assists us. Last time I, I checked, the devil wasn't shooting people on the south side. You didn't see old Diablo with pitchfork and and, and horns shooting people on the south side, did you? Did you see demons dancing half naked at the pride fest and the pride parade, those of you who went out there to preach? Did you see demons out there? Demons influence people. And people are influenced by their heart and what their heart desires. And Jesus is going to deal with the heart. And just because you got born again doesn't mean your heart can't be tempted to go back to what it once was because you have memories of what you once were. And so you may be tempted to do new things or to go back to your old things because your old self can come through the memories of a brain that's still here. 
And the difference between when you die and go to heaven and right now is just the difference of your body. And so your body can remember sin and desire new sins. Your brain can be tempted even right now. And your soul wars against your brain. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And if we just called that a real catchy term like Jesus, did you know what we would call your mind, will, and emotions, your soul? We would call it your heart. And so the Bible is going to teach us that God has changed your heart, but your body has remained the same as a Christian. And so you're not supposed to go back to or reintroduce yourself into sin with your body, but live in your body as your heart is pure and holy. How many got new hearts here today? How many want to live with a pure heart? Amen. Let's go to it. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now notice this is not a command in the Bible. It's a tradition that they added to the Bible. You have to wash your hands before you eat. Now how many know that's a good thing? to wash your hands before you eat, especially if you live in a culture like that where they don't have toilet paper. I don't mean to be gross, but how do you think people wipe themselves without toilet paper for thousands of years? All you have to do now is go to India and figure it out because I've been there, okay? The toilet isn't something there in the villages like what you think it is. It's a hole in the ground, and this is how they go to the bathroom, okay? A little cross-cultural thing you just learned right there. So if you ever show up in India and look for a bathroom and you're seeing a hole in the ground, you're, not, you're thinking you're in the wrong place. You're right where you're supposed to be. And then there is no toilet paper there. There is just a pitcher of water next to you. That is it. It is your job to figure it out. It is your job to figure it out. And so honestly, I had to ask somebody, how do I do this? You know, because I don't want to do the thing and then put my hand in the thing and mess up everything, you know. So I had to find out you do the thing, you wipe it with your hand, and then you pour the thing over your hand, the pitcher of water over your hand. That's how you clean yourself. You're done. That's how we did it. Y'all looking at me crazy. What, y'all got American privilege here? Y'all forgot where you came from? All ancestors did it like that in some way or another. And so a lot of people don't understand when they think about Jesus. Jesus wasn't eating with a fork and a knife. Jesus ate with his hands. You ever seen anybody eat rice and sauce with their hands in that culture and put it in their mouth and get it all over their beard? We would think that was gross. Jesus probably only had one or two pairs of clothes. Jesus didn't have deodorant. Jesus didn't brush his teeth. They might have had things that they could do equivalent to that, but nowhere near as good as we do now. So this idea that Jesus was American or that Jesus was modern, let's get that out of our minds, okay? Jesus is living in the time where they do things different. But one of their traditions is a good one. It's washing your hands before you eat. But they would do it in a certain way, in a religious way, very similar to how Muslims now do it. And they would think that if you didn't do it, you weren't right, that you sinned. Now look what Jesus says in reply to them. Okay, He says, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition?" So they're asking him, why do you break our traditions? And then he just, does, he just skips right over it and just goes right to him and goes, why do you all break the commands of God for your tradition? The idea that Jesus doesn't argue is lost on the dull and the ignorant. 
If you think Jesus did not argue, you are dull and ignorant of the scriptures. And if you think being like Jesus does not involve arguing and confrontation and conflict, you do not worship the God of the Bible. You worship a guy that's more related to Jesus, the one who sells in Lotes on Fullerton and Cicero. Are you listening? Because the Jesus of the Bible argued all the time. He wasn't an argumentative person, meaning he's not looking for a fight. He's not being contrarian, disagreeing just to disagree out of pride and ego. But he's continually correcting people and telling them they're wrong. And as a matter of fact, we're going to learn today, he calls his own disciples stupid. And I know a lot of you here look at the S word as so bad, and we teach our kids never say it, but Jesus said it and called people it, not just bad people, his own disciples. And if you think being called stupid by Jesus is wrong, wait till we get to next week where he calls his disciple Peter Satan. I'd rather be called stupid than Satan by Jesus. I would love to see the title of that book, Jesus Loved Me So Much He Called Me Stupid. That would be a good title for some of you to write that book because you think stupid. You think unintelligent. I have been there too. Some of you need to write that today. Jesus loved me enough to call me stupid. Jesus loved me enough to call me dull and unintelligent and foolish. Jesus loved me enough to call me dim-witted. Jesus loves you that much to keep it real with you. Now, children, we don't use that word as a put-down, and we don't call people names, but when your time comes, you can use names to describe behavior, and I believe in that Jesus. So if your Jesus is the only the kind of Jesus that could get along on Ellen's show, and you think oddly of Jesus when he starts rebuking and calling people stupid, you don't know how to read the Bible. You have to read it verse by verse to let it speak to you. Jesus here is dealing with Jewish people that he's been dealing with the entire time who are no longer asking questions to learn. They're only asking things to trap him. He's already been dealing with them now for prior chapters. And so at this point, he is fed up with them. He is not giving them sincere answers to questions because they're not sincerely asking them. He is now skipping the questions and going right to pointing out the logs in their eye and rebuking them. Have you ever been at that place with somebody? Where I'm not even answering that question. Why are you asking these dumb questions? Why do you do this? Have you ever answered a question with a question because you didn't want to acknowledge the first question because it was ignorant? Sometimes you've got to do that. You've just got to overlook it and go right to the heart of the issue, asking them a question that really puts it back on them. And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? They're upset that Jesus' disciples are breaking traditions, and he lets them know you're breaking commands. A tradition is something like, well, in our house, on Fridays we don't eat meat, we eat fish. That's a tradition. It's not in the Bible. It's one thing if you break that and make mama upset, whoever in your family upset, because now you eat uh, meat on Fridays as well. It's another thing to lie, steal, and cheat. Does everybody get that? Lying, stealing, cheating is breaking commands. Eating meat on Fridays is just breaking what? 
tradition. Jesus is showing, you're worse. You're pointing out the problems in my disciples' lives because they don't follow your tradition, but you're breaking the commands of God. I'm going to shut you down in front of everybody right now. For God said, honor your father and mother. Anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. How many are glad we don't put to death rebellious teenagers anymore? Aren't you glad there's a such thing called the new covenant? Because in the old covenant, I wouldn't have made it past about 11. My funeral would be right. I mean, my gravesite would be right in my neighborhood. Here lies Joe. He made it to age 11, mooned some kids from school, cussed out his mom and dad, didn't come home for a while. And when he came back home, he was stoned by the neighbors and buried in the backyard. Here lies Joe Irostic. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Now, most of you are not familiar with this, but those who are, you understand Mark references this as well and calls it Corbin. In their tradition, you could give your inheritance to the church instead of using it to provide for your family, both elderly and the children under you, and then look really pious in front of the community. This is not tithes and offerings. That's already commanded for all to give, but this is a way of cheating your family out of an inheritance, especially your parents, because they didn't have Social Security back then or nursing homes. It was the children's job to provide for them, but some people didn't really want to do that for their parents or take care of their kids. They would take all of their wealth and say, I'm just going to do- donate it to the church. And the Jewish people at that time said, oh, we love that. We love that. Who cares about your mom and dad? We'll take that as Corbin. We'll call this a rule that you can neglect your family as long as you give it to God. Which, by the way, then those priests and those leaders at that time, most of them were stealing the money for their own benefit. So they loved that. And Jesus goes right into their culture and says, hey, You say we don't wash with hands and break traditions. You're breaking the laws of God. You nullify. Look at that word, nullify. Everybody say nullify. Thank you. You nullify. You make the word of God void because of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah, the prophet, was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Everybody say they worship me in vain. I wonder how many people today worship God in vain. I wonder how many of you just worship God in vain. You are singing songs thinking that by itself is worship, but it's not. According to the Bible, obedience is worship. Obedience does involve singing songs because we are to sing songs and clap and shout. And that's why I shout. I don't shout to make this place look hype or like we're doing the background of a game show. I shout because the Bible commands me to shout with the voice of triumph unto God. And now psychologically they have found out that shouting releases endorphins and it's a part of a healthy mind and body to shout every now and then. 
clap your hands and sing. Yes, that's obedient worship unto God. But worship is not just clapping and singing. In other words, you could clap, you could have clapped, and you could have sung the songs we just did. And you could have even shouted, but you might not have worshipped. Because if you were not worshipping God by keeping his commands, you were worshipping him in vain. You were honoring with your lips, but your heart was far from God. That's why in this church we teach people to honor God with their heart and their lips. We're not just concerned today with your lips. The Bible says many proclaim their unfailing love, but a faithful person is hard to find. How many women can say amen to that? You've heard a lot of guys proclaim their unfailing love, but a faithful dude is hard to find. The Bible says it's the same thing with God. They can sing songs. They can say they honor God. They can kiss their cross, but their hearts are far from God. Why? Why are their hearts from, far from God? Because they're disobedient. They're disobedient to the things of God. And the Bible says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. When we think of witchcraft, what do we think of? We think of witches, we think of brooms, we think of potions, we think of spells, we think of all of these things, right? No, no, no. The Bible says at the heart of witchcraft, where it all came from, where Satanism all came from, was rebellion. So why are they doing the potions? Because they want to be in control, rebelling against God's control. Why are they doing the curses? Because they're rebelling against God's blessings. They want to be in charge of judgment. Do you get it? At the heart of witchcraft is rebellion. And if your heart is not putting God first in your heart, you are rebellious. You are sinning like witchcraft. You're far from God. Now, I know in our culture, we don't argue with people about whether or not they should wash their hands before they eat, but I've got some man-made rules that I see in Christianity all over the place in my generation. I'm going to give you some man-made rules, and let's see how you feel about these man-made rules, because if you believe these man-made rules, you may be worshiping God uh, with your lips, but be far from him in your heart. Here, here's a rule I hear a lot today. Thou shalt keep sinning as long as thou repent each time. You ever heard that? I hear that all the time. God will forgive me. God will forgive me. So the idea of God transforming you, forget about that. Forget about God changing you, baby. Just get your sin on. You get forgiveness now. Get as much as you want. Just as long as you say you're sorry. You're good. How about this man-made rule I hear all the time? Thou shalt not judge, correct, or rebuke other Christians because that is not nice nor any of thy business. You ever hear people use the thou shalt not judge scripture out of context? And they live by that human rule? And then when you break that human rule, they're going to point it out to you? And then you show them, right? What are you supposed to do when they show you that you're breaking their human tradition? You're supposed to show them right back you're breaking the word of God. You are upset with me breaking a man-made tradition that you came up with after watching two seasons of Oprah or two episodes of Oprah, one of Steve Harvey and then another of Ellen. You put that together, but you didn't get that from the word. Here's another man-made law I hear all the time. 
Thou shalt not feel convicted about missing church, causing a mess in the church, because the church is whatever you make it to be. Have you ever noticed how fanciful people are about the church? The church is what they do when they go out fishing on Sundays. I've actually heard people tell me that. I was talking to a worship leader once. She was a part of a a church, and um, I said, well, what do you guys do on Sundays at your church? She said, well, right now, my husband and I, we go out on our boat on Sundays. And I said, really? That's what you do? I I thought you told me you were the worship leader. Oh, she said, I am the worship leader during the fall and winter months, but during the summer months, I get to come out here. I said, well, what about the command to go to church? Well, church is out here, and where two or three are gathered together, there he is. You see? You see that kind of lie people believe? Now, the Bible says he's wherever we are at. That's true. Wherever two or three are gathered together, that's true. But the church is built, the Bible says, on elders and deacons. There's authority and there's organization to the church. You think you can do church your own way? Just read 1 Corinthians, the first five chapters. I guarantee you'll find out real quick church does not work the way you think it does. By the end of chapter 5, Paul is saying, kick them out, every one of them. Expel the wicked from this place. You all get quiet when I preach like that. Go to the end of chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, please. Man-made rules. Do you all believe man-made rules or the Bible? Bible. Excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. What does it say in verse 12? What business is of mine to judge those outside the church? Well, you know, let them do whatever they do. Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. So when I see people holding up signs to church saying, welcome home. Now, this ain't your home. Who told you that? Unless you are born again, this is not your home. Everybody get that. Pay attention to pastor up here. If you are not born again, this is not your home. Everybody said, sometimes they say, everybody's welcome here. Everybody is not welcome here. You are not welcome here believing false doctrine. You are not welcome here living in continual sin. You are not welcome here. If you want to cause division, Jesus doesn't welcome you here. Heaven is not a place for everybody. Everybody is not welcome in heaven. Can everybody go to heaven? Absolutely. Does God love the whole world? Absolutely. But there are two categories of people on this planet, and you better wake up and understand that there are wicked people and there are righteous people. That settles the whole thing. So are you? is this home? For the righteous, this is home. This is home for the righteous. This is not home for the wicked. You call yourself a Christian here and you live wicked, we will give you a warning. After that, we will expel you from our fellowship. That's why there are empty seats here today. We do not regret that. We honor God in this. You say, well, what if we sin, Pastor? Well, you better fear God and repent of your sin and stop living in your sin. You might say, well, my neighbor's not. Let us know. We'll deal with you and your neighbor. Because when you come to this church, I want you to at least know one thing. These people believe what they're talking about. And I'll be the first one to say, I believe what I am talking about up here. Kick me out the church if I sin without repentance. Kick me out of this place. Because this place is a holy place. 
This is not a place for the wicked to come and to abuse God's grace and for us to use the excuse, God loves the sinner but hates the sin. I understand that, but this is not a place to live in continual sin. Go up to the prior verses. The Bible says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I'm not only not supposed to let you in the church, I'm not supposed to associate with you. Do you understand that? I said, do you understand that? Amen. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. So praise God, you don't have to leave every person that's wicked. Otherwise, you have to leave your job. You'd have to leave your cell phone company, right? You'd have to leave every place you are. But when we come here, it's different. It says, but now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister. Does everybody get that? You claim to be my brother. You claim to be my sister, but you are sexually immoral, you are greedy, if you are an idolater, if you are a slanderer, if you are a drunkard, if you are a swindler, I'm not even supposed to eat with you. It's tight, but it's right. I still believe the Bible, y'all. I do any of those things, give me a warning. If I don't repent, kick me out the church. Go to Titus chapter 2, verse 10. We'll see how it works. Just in case you don't think they give them warnings and deal with them. Oh, we love people. Come on now. We love you enough to tell you to get right. Amen? And I'll guarantee you if you say, well, you know, what am I supposed to do then? I want to live in sin and go to church. Oh, I guarantee you there's a hundred more churches that will let you live in sin and go there. <laughs> Let's just be honest real quick. we just be honest real quick. How hard do you think it's going to find a place for you to go next week where you can live in sin and not be dealt with? So don't give this to me like, well, I don't know how I'm going to serve Jesus. I don't know how I'm going to read the Bible anymore. Don't, no, nobody loves me now. No, if you want to live in sin and find a church, let me just list the ten on this block that will let you go there right now. As a matter of fact, I will give you $10 for the first ten churches you can find me that live by this. You can make $100 right now. You can make $100. Find me ten churches I'll give you 10 for each individual one. But up to 10 churches that do this, I'll give you $100. Because we are a remnant of Christians in this place. We're not the only ones, but we are a remnant. Look at what the Bible says in the book of Titus, chapter 2, verse 15. These then are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Now go to chapter 3, verse 10. Warn a divisive person what? Warn a divisive person. Y'all get your Bibles out. Get your Bibles out. Thank you. Get your Bibles out. I want everybody with their Bibles out. What if they had the wrong thing up there today, folks? Come on. Titus chapter 3, verse 10. Warn a divisive person what? Once. And then warn them what? Second time after that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. So we'll tell you what we're going to do. After that, we'll let you know what we're going to do. You don't change. We're going to ask you to go. Why? Because we're not following the traditions of men. We're following the word of God. How about this false tradition of men? Thou shalt not give tithes and offerings when times are tough because the church will be fine. I don't need to give. Why should I have to give? God knows I need it. You're not right with God. You're going back to that greedy person. Oh, no, only greedy people are rich people. Oh, you haven't read the Bible then. There's a lot of poor, greedy people. 
You haven't been to the Jacks then. I used to work in the project seven and a half years. You haven't been to the Jacks. I met a lot of greedy people in the hood. I do believe there's a lot of rich, greedy people too. Don't get me wrong. They're really greedy and they got a lot of issues. But I've met a lot of poor, poor greedy people, stingy people. Are you listening to me? How about this last one? Thou shalt be free to believe whatever thy heart wants to believe because it matters to me. If I believe it, it's true. I don't believe that, Pastor. I believe what I think. Well, listen to me. If we're playing make-believe now, I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. I think about it every night and day. (laughs) I believe I can fly. Is that what we're talking about now? Now I believe I can fly. I believe I'm a millionaire. I believe I'm the owner of your bank account. I believe I'm the owner of your car. (laughs) I believe your house belongs to me. We're just making up stuff. Now, why are you here today? Because if you look around, it doesn't look like many religious type folks here. You'll only find maybe one or two even come dressed up on a Sunday here. Why? Because the rules that people are breaking today aren't really the ones they used to talk about 20, 30 years ago. Before they used to say you couldn't wear shorts to church and all that. And now people are still talking about that as man-made rules. But that's not what I see as a problem anymore. The man-made rules that I see in your culture are the ones I just listed. And so when people say, oh, God only got upset with the religious people, people who always were judgmental, God just lets it all go, you know, because he loves everybody. He he just lets them all live however they want because he loves everybody. Listen to me, my friends. That religious attitude is the exact kind of religious attitude Jesus is rebuking in our passage by saying you are warped in your thinking because you are now making man-made traditions greater than the commands of God. Can I hear an amen? So let's go back to it. Jesus then called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. Now, before we get upset about Jesus calling his disciples stupid, let us understand Jesus is taking the time to explain it. Jesus called the crowd to him. He said, listen, y'all listen to me. Understand this. So he gave them a chance to get it. Are you getting this? Are you getting this? He gave them a chance. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. What comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? How many know when people talk to you like that, they themselves are a part of the problem? How many know if after this service somebody comes up to me and goes, well, didn't you know that somebody in the church got offended? How many know I'm just as annoyed with that person as the person they're talking about? Because you are coming to me the wrong way. Don't come to me telling me all your friends are offended. Come to me like, man, my friend got offended, and I'm glad they finally got offended because I've been trying to tell them all year, and now they show up to the church, and I'm so glad that you told them, Pastor, because you put it on the Word. But the disciples are going to get their rebuke because of this kind of attitude they have, which is almost like, Jesus, you got to tone it down. Don't you understand? This is offending people. You have got to be bold, my friends. And when people get offended, do not think that you have got to change. Jesus doesn't go, oh, my fault. Oopsie. Oh, did I offend them? 
Oh my goodness, let's call up our public relations officer. Let's delete that tweet. Let's go back on the media. Let's just say it all different. Let's make sure we just cover this thing up. No, the Bible says, he replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. There are times to leave people. Leave ignorant people alone. You've already dealt with them. Leave them. The ones you've warned, the ones you've tried to help, leave them. You might say, Pastor, I'm married to one of them. Well, stay with them until they leave you, as the Bible says. But keep preaching. Pastor, I work with one of them. Okay, well, let's talk about work then. The Bible says don't keep throwing your pearls to the swine. Leave them. They are blind guys. Jesus left people, y'all. This is what I don't understand when people get upset with me and they think I'm not as Christ-like as Christ. What, are, what Bible are you reading? This is not Nicianity. This is Christianity. If you think you're nicer than Christ, you are an idolater. You are not nicer than my Jesus. My Jesus loved them enough to leave them alone in hopes that they would come to their senses. Now Peter about ready to catch one because he just said, leave them alone. And now Peter said, explain the parable to us. That's a good question, but he shouldn't have came that way. He should have came in a different way going, I get it, but help me get it more. Right now, he's saying, I don't get it at all. And now verse 16 says, are you still so dull? Let's go to the different versions that I showed you. Go to the message, please, because I'm going to show you in the Greek what this word means. Peter said, I don't get it. Put it in plain language. Jesus replied, you too? Are you being willfully stupid? Now, just so you don't get offended by the message translation, go to the Greek of that word, a sinitos. A sinitos, literally a before the Greek sinitos or sinitos. Sinitos is sense. A before sinitos means negating sense. A theist, theist is God or theos is God. A negates it, no God. This is no sense, without understanding, senseless, foolish, not intelligent, stupid. Do you see stupid is one of the, the ways you can use this word? Also down here, senseless, foolish, without understanding, stupid, worthless, godless, good for nothing. If I hear anybody tell me this word is wrong to use in this way, I'm going to say, do you even Bible? You know, like you ask people, do you surf? Do you, do you, do you, uh, you know, do you ride your bike? Do you bike ride? I'm just going to ask you, do you Bible? Because do you Bible at all? Because you should Bible. You know, like you should surf. You should snowboard. You know how I'm using the word here? You should Bible. You should look at your Bible and understand words. When he says, are you so dull, and go back to our notes, please. He is saying, are you so without sense, without intelligence, stupid, good for nothing, Peter? Why are you missing this? Now. I don't use that language very often. You don't see Jesus using that language very often. 
The reason is, is because if you go around calling people stupid the whole time, it re, re, is an a indication of you not being a good teacher. Because if they're not getting it, it's your fault now at some point. If you look at people's children, at some point, you got to stop blaming it on the children if they're not behaved. you got to go back to the parent. Jesus doesn't walk around calling them this all the time. But what we do see is that it's appropriate when he told them, listen, understand. And then they say, I still don't get it. We see here Jesus, out of love, is wanting to put a mirror up to Peter and the rest of them because he's really the spokesperson and wanting to show them it's because you don't want to get it. You're offended that they're offended. Next time somebody says, I'm offended with you, tell them, I'm offended, you're offended. What are you getting so offended about? So he's basically saying to Peter, Peter, it was plain. Go up to the verses above. What is not plain about this? Go up a little bit more, please. Whatever goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. How many get that? But how many know more than likely the reason why Peter's getting rebuked so hard is because he wasn't either paying attention and or he's offended, the Jews are offended. And so that's where we can be frustrated as leaders, and Jesus got frustrated. So let's go back up to what he now does to explain. The Bible then says, he replied, Jesus is now going to tell them, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then comes out of the body? So funny, we were just talking about this at the beginning of service. Go to the message version. Let's just read it out the message. You guys will like this. Because he's going to put it in plain language. Don't you know that what is swallowed works its way through the intestines and is finally defecated? Like, let's make it plain, Peter, since you didn't get this. But what comes out of the mouth gets its start in the heart. It's from the heart that we vomit up evil arguments, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, lies, cussing. That's what pollutes Eating or not eating certain foods, washing or not washing your hands is neither here nor there. How many get that? Can I hear an amen? Now, going back to that passage, I was hoping I could get to other things today because Jesus calls a woman a dog in this passage too. And all the feminists are going to get real upset. I think I might have time to get to that to explain that to you. Long before Snoop Dogg was around and people were calling themselves, hey, dog, dog, Jesus called a woman a dog. It's all the part of Jesus' agenda is to humble us. He is humbling Peter by showing him, Peter, it's not going to be the way you want it, and people will get offended. So here's the point, Peter. And when we get to the woman with the, 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 the daughter's demon possession, you'll hear, you'll hear him call her dog. And you'll see why. But let's just park here for a minute. And let's, I'll see if I have time to get to that. From the heart comes evil thoughts. Now you see in our translation, there's a dash there. And then there's a list of all of these things. Highlight evil thoughts, please. 
Evil thoughts are evil because they go against the nature of God. Here are some examples that go against the nature of God. Murder. Why does that go against the nature of God? Because he's the giver of life. We can be killed. We can take justice into death penalty and use it, but we cannot murder, take innocent life because God does not take innocent life. There is a difference between killing, dying, and murder. Does everybody get that? If you die, were you murdered? No. If you were put to death because you, you were a serial killer, were you murdered? No. The Bible says these are different than murder. Murder is taking an innocent person's life. Does Jesus take innocent people's life for punishment? No. If you didn't know the answer, the answer is no. So why should we not commit abortion? Because that's ending the life of somebody innocent. Is, is that the same as dying? No. Is that the same as war? No. But if it's an unjust war, it is. Is it the same as a person being executed for the crimes they've committed? No. What is murder? Murder is taking an innocent life. Why don't we do it? Because it's an evil mindset against our holy God and his logic. Go to the Bible, please, John 1.1. 1, 1. Let's go there quickly. I use that in our prayer time, but I want you to see it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Highlight over the Word. Word, right-click on it, please. And I want to teach it to you because every time I get the chance, I want you to remember this. The word logos. What English word sounds like the word logos? Logic. The Bible literally says in the beginning was the logic of God. And the logic was with God. And the logic was God. And then we see the logic became a person. When we see Jesus, we see the wisdom of God. We see the truth. That's why he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the truth. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's not just truth is a thing out there. Truth is a person that he divulges to this world. It's just like light because it says here, in him was life, and that light was the light of all mankind. Light is not just a thing. Light comes from a person. That's why in the days of creation, there was light before there was a son. Did you ever notice that when you were counting down the days of creation? He said, let there be light on the first day, and then what day comes the sun? I believe it's the third or the fourth day. Look it up. What day comes the sun? Quickly. The Bible says he is light. What day is it? The fourth day is when the sun is created. And so sometimes people come sassy and they're like, how is there light when there was no sun? It's because our God is light, baby. Have you read our Bible? The Bible says the Father dwells in perfect light in whom there is no shifting of shadow. God turned on his presence to the universe and sustained it and then made a self-sustaining universe out of a ball of fire called the sun and fusion, etc., Going back to the passage, we see here evil thoughts are evil because they're against the nature of God. Murder is against the nature of God. Adultery and sexual immorality are evil because they're against the nature of God. God is married and, and, and sanctified with his church, has set apart, rather, his sanctified church. Jesus is not cheating on his church with another religion. Jesus is not a polygamist. He doesn't have us Christians on one arm, Buddhas, Buddhists on the other arm, Hindus on the other arm. Do you understand that? 
He is not pimping. He is married to his creation via the church. Sex outside of marriage is sin because God said he was committed to humanity in their obedience to him. And he would not give the devil another look or another chance. Why is theft and socialism sin? Socialism is sin because it steals. It takes what, it doesn't, belo- what doesn't belong to it. You cannot take what doesn't belong to you. That's why when you guys get all excited about free things, free things, free things at the beginning of the election season and then six months in, you get all upset because taxes come and now all of Illinois' taxes is going up and all the big businesses want to leave and go move to Indiana and all of these things. Well, friends, you got to put, you got to put it together before you vote. Come on, somebody, and I'm not here to say one party is better than the other when it comes to taxes because they all got a lot of them have greed in their hearts as well. But my point is we can't be surprised when these systems come against us. But socialism is an example of a a thieving system. False testimony. Why is a false testimony wrong? Because God does not lie. Why is theft wrong? God does not steal. Why is slander wrong? Because God does not talk wrong about people. He tells the truth about people even if he's calling Satan, uh, calling Peter Satan and stupid. That's the truth about Peter. How many believe that's the truth about Peter? How many still love Peter? How many believe Jesus still loved Peter? How many know after he called him Satan, he still stuck with him? Why? Because he wasn't a blind person. He wasn't being rebellious in his ignorance. He was working through his issues. There is a difference between working through your issues and staying in the mud. And staying in your sin. You stay in your sin. We can't help you. You want to get out of your sin. You want to live free. I'm the person to call, baby. I'm the one to be there. This is the church to come to if you hate sin and hate the devil and want to live for Jesus. Amen. If you want to be cheating on Jesus with the devil throughout the week, this is not the church to go to. There are a bunch of adulterous churches you will find that give you more uh, encouragement to keep committing adultery on Jesus. Now look at verse 20. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Rachel, would you come, please? There is no way I can get to the Seraphonician woman, the Canaanite woman. Thank you, Lord. How many know Jesus loves us? Enough to tell us the truth. How many know Jesus loves us just the way we are, but too much to let us stay that way? How many know today people can lie to you and give you kisses, but someone who spanks the hiney can really love you? Come on, somebody. How many of you have already been to conferences where you paid a lot of money and were told what you wanted to hear, but it didn't change you? How many of you have already read books and paid for them and listened to Christian radio and were already, you know, you've done all those things and you're still right where you were at the beginning? This is the kind of preaching that gets you free. This is the kind of preaching that will have you live a different kind of life. And let me just preview this story of the Canaanite woman in closing, please. She comes to Jesus and she says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. But Jesus ignored her, didn't even answer her. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. That means in this mission, he was not going to India. India. He was not going to India. I said it again. India or Italy. Why is that so hard? India. I made up a country. 
He was not going to India, and he was not going to Italy. He was only going to his people. The woman knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. How many know that would offend most Americans right there? It's good that I end on this story, I think. I asked you a question. How many know that would offend most Americans right there? So you come to Jesus for a miracle. He ignores you. He walks away. And then the, and then the disciples are like, well, what are we going to do about this woman? And he says, just tell her I came from, for the lost sheep of Israel. And then she says again, Lord, help me. And then he stops and looks at her and goes, come on, really? It's not right for me to give the dogs the children's bread. Let me get back to the children. And then what does she fall down on her knees and say? She says, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. She could write the book, Jesus loved me enough to call me a dog. Why was she called a dog? She was called a dog because her people were some of the most wicked and vilest people from the time of the exile into the promised land all the way through the time of David, even during the time of the kings. They sacrificed their children. They were perverse. They, they ridiculed. They persecuted the church, uh, I mean, the, the Jewish people at that time. And Jesus is telling her, I came now for my people, the people that you have oppressed, the people that you have mistreated. You are not deserving of this. You are not doing it right. And then she says, but I will do it right, and I will start right now. You see, the idea is sometimes we think like God owes us something. And what she was willing to do is see that I'm not owed anything, but if I could get some crumbs, these crumbs will change my life. Now, some people who you might see on the streets, they're known as the black Hebrew Israelites. They are a popular call among the African Americans, and they are teaching that this means God's, God hates the nations and that God has no plan for those outside of Israel. And that now the Israelites are only the black people, so-called Negro, as they say, and Latinos and Native Americans. They are the ones downtown or on the south side with pictures of white Jesus with horns on his head. And they will misuse this and say, see, this is proof. God don't care about your Gentile behind. And they'll start cussing while they say it. There's two things that racist people miss when they read the Bible. And by the way, there were white Israelites in America. They are still around. They're called the Worldwide Church of God. You may see their advertisements on Facebook. They believe that Israelites are white and all other nations are cursed. They don't even tell you where they meet. They have these wonderful little videos that come up very slick. They look Christian, Worldwide Church of God but they are a secretive cult. They believe that their race is the only one being saved. So both white and black have misused this. And how they do this is they say, look, Jesus said, I didn't come for you. I only came for Jewish people. And then they define Jewish people by a color of skin. They call it a race. Number one, Jesus actually does the miracle here. 
So why does he go from saying, I don't do it except for these people, but then he does it for her? I have all the scriptures there listed. It's because after he says the lost sheep of Israel, all of these scriptures show that after he was dead, buried, and rose again, he did go to all of the nations, especially in the book of Matthew, the one we're reading. It says, now go into all the, uh, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So her, God doing the miracle for her shows us that Gentiles, non-Jewish people will be included even though that wasn't his time and this moment. Number one, I always bring back to them, well, if he doesn't care about him, why did he heal the dog then? Because they'll sure enough keep calling us dogs. But then I say, why does he give the dog the crumbs and say she has great faith when his own people didn't even have faith? And you remember at one point he said, you guys would be kicked out of the kingdom and the Gentiles would come and take your seat. So we remind him of that. Number two, the Bible shows us that in this context that the dog gets the crumb from their master's table. So that means both the child and the dog have what? The same master. And I'll be honest with you, my culture is a dog. That's why I wanted to say Italy. The Italian culture is a dog culture. Your culture is a dog culture. The only holy culture that was upon this planet was given to the Jewish people. How do we now get in as dogs to their culture? How do we now get in into their way? We come through Jesus, the Jew who died for the whole world, Jew and Gentile, to bring us in as a wild olive branch into the olive branch of Israel. We do not replace Israel. We do not become Israel. But we become engrafted into Israel through Jesus Christ, who is the best of Israel, the Savior of the world. Are you listening? And that confirms, go to Genesis 15, please. That confirms the promise that God gave Abraham, the founder of Israel. In Genesis 15, Jesus gives him the promise. He says, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Abram said, well, how can you give me an inheritance since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram said, he said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be the heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars if you can count them then he said so shall your offspring be Abraham believed God and it was credited him as righteousness keep going and the Lord said I am the Lord who brought you out of the earth of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it now go to Genesis chapter 12 how many know Abraham's going to have an heir that rules the world and it's going to have an offspring that's greater than the numbers of the stars are you listening he says, go from your country, and I will make you a great nation. Somebody say singular. I will make you a singular great nation and will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you will I curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Highlight all peoples. Right-click on it. Right-click on all peoples. Uh, peoples, please, not all. Uh, Right-click on peoples right here. Extended family clans, click on Bible Word Study, please. Right here to the top left, Bible Word Study. I'm going to show you what that word means, peoples. The word peoples means nations. 
tribes. He's going to make him a singular nation, and then through him, all the nations, genus, kind, tribe, family, races, clan. Do you get this? All of this, hit more right here. All of this is going to be blessed. The entire world is now blessed through Jesus. All peoples, all kingdoms, all tribes, all clans, all families, all groups, all kinds. So what are the two things that we learn? Going back to the notes, please. When Jesus healed the Seraphonician woman calling her a dog, is that number one, we better know our place and be humble before God and know that if we admit who we are, he will have mercy on us. He will love us. He will do it even if we come from pagan backgrounds and we're not Israel. But number two, we get to have the same master as the children do. Though most of us here do not come from Israel's descent, and I don't have time to debunk the African idea of Israel, I can show you that Africans have been a part of Israel, but not the whole continent, not all the slave trade, etc. But the idea is it's not a black thing, a white thing, or a thing you recognize that way. It had to do with their religious beliefs. So there's Pakistani Israelis, there's uh, African Israelis, there's Asian Israelis, because as they were scattered in their culture, they kept it in all different parts of the world, as the Bible said. And in the last days, Israel would be brought to be a nation again, and those peoples would come from their nation back to Israel. And that happened in 1948 when Israel became a nation, and now from the European nations, from the African nations, from the uh, Southeast Asian nations, and so forth, they are coming to gather around to Israel, and we need to pray that they become saved and know Jesus, otherwise they'll face the Antichrist in great judgment, but at the end, the Bible says, whoever remains from that group of Israel will be saved. The bottom line is this, he still loves Gentiles, and then number two, he makes them their master. Amen? Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus today. Let's go. Let's go. Abandoned altar workers, would you come, please? Woo! Father, we thank you today that you showed us how to have a pure heart. We need you to change us for us not to be caught up on men's traditions, but to be changed from the inside out. If you are here today, even as I'm praying, no one is going to embarrass you. No one's going to put you out. If you want prayer for things going on in your heart, come up to these people right now and let them pray for you. Today is your day. Starting with me, Lord, show me. Have I let any of these thoughts, these evil thoughts, take over my mind and, and turn into wicked behaviors? I don't want to be wicked, oh God. I want to be righteous. Forgive me. Save me. Change me. Make me new. Next, if you're here today and you feel like the Seraphonician woman, you come from an evil people. You come from a nation, not Israel. You have sinned. Your forefathers have sinned. You come from a generation where it's normal to shack up, to not get married, to be an alcoholic, to go to church on Sunday, but then live like the devil on Monday. Come up to these folks and let them pray for you because the same master of the people of God was, is your master today. If you let him be, if you let him be, he'll change you. I come from a people of religious background. I come from a people of proud background where they don't think they need help. Today, don't be too proud to ask Jesus for his help. He's able to do it, my friends. A few moments as we're going to pray up here. 
Come on, don't be afraid of what people think about you. That woman didn't care in front of the whole Bible, in front of the whole people. She did her thing. Now the whole Bible, now everyone who reads the Bible knows her story. I look up to that woman. Dear God, not let us be afraid or ashamed to call on your name. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. If you've been stupid, if you've been ignorant, if you've been unintelligent, and you want someone to pray with you to get your senses back, to walk with the wisdom of God, come on up here. We will, we will not look down on you asking for help. The Bible says, whoever lacks wisdom, let them ask, and it will be given to them. Oh, how many times have I regretted not asking for help until it was too late. I wish to God I was in some of your situations right now before you made your big mistake because I'm telling you, man, I would be up here right now.